I'm Okay by Rosie Pryor. Please do not apologize for not being there for me, for missing the signs, the signals that might have enabled you to save me from the throes of my own self-destruction. I was not able to tell you then. I am a master secret keeper. I am highly skilled in the art of opening up to you, but only from a distance, only on my own terms and in my own delegations of time and space. I'd tell you I was struggling, sure, and cite plenty of examples, but as the blood and the guts of my half-hearted confessions began to threaten turning themselves inside out, I would always toss the story back to you, like a talking stick at a Girl Scout meeting. Do you remember? You couldn't see because I'd had plenty of time to practice, but at those very moments, the ramparts of my rigor mortis would set in, and I began to crystallize from the inside out. What I mean to say is, thank you, but you hadn't a hope in hell. Please do not feel sorry for me, for I am not sad. The life I am living now is beyond comparison to the life I was barely limping through before I reached out for help. While traversing the uncharted terrains of recovery, I have gained VIP access to a limitless version of myself, like in the aptly titled movie, Limitless, starring Bradley Cooper, fellow real-life super sober, only minus the magic pills. I told a friend over coffee earlier today, instead of running on E, not to be confused with the drug ecstasy because I saw where some of your minds went then, I'm running on me. The sheer volume of clarity, self-love, and pure, albeit sufficiently caffeinated, energy I have on a daily basis is astounding and took me by complete surprise, an advantageous side effect. For as long as I can remember, I've held with steadfast conviction the belief that the only way to fuel my fire, to feed my life force, was from the outside in Anyone else out there? Whether it was alcohol, Adderall, anorexia, Valium, Vivance, or validation from friends, family, or Facebook, I was convinced I was nothing without them. Any of them, and all of them. I vividly recall a conversation with one of my sober friends toward the end of my drinking career, in which I was confessing my debilitating lack of self-esteem the inability to face my reflection in the mirror with anything other than disgust and disdain. He considered this thoughtfully and then responded, Rosie, you know the best thing I ever did for my self-esteem was to get sober. On this particular day, I found this insulting, impossible, preposterous. I felt like he was trying to flip the subject in order to push his agenda of sobriety on me. I should also mention that by this point, it was well after 4 p.m., and he was the only thing standing between me and wine o'clock. So I was justifiably irritable, impatient, riddled with the restlessness of someone being unjustly deprived of their daily bread. I dismissed the data received that day in all its totality and tried every conceivable method of obliteration from the roots up. I wielded my modus operandi, red wine, vivance, valium. These typically succeeded in what they set out to do. 
extinguish any possibility for authentic thought. But by some small miracle, these seeds of salvation managed to sow themselves into my cerebrum. I will always trace my sobriety back to this uncomfortable exchange, the bedrock of hard truths laid bare. For it is in sitting with these discomforts, these moments that lead us open and exposed, raw and glittering, that the growth happens. In my life, B.C., before consciousness, secrets braided themselves like a noose around my neck, suffocating my every thought. Their dense fibers welded into a corset of shame, cinched together tighter and tighter by the strands of self-loathing until the very life and breath of me had been jammed up to unrecognizable proportions, softness and air no longer accessible, such stark and simple blessings to which I was no longer entitled. Days wished away, countless hours and energies spent clicking fingernails on countertops and steering wheels and plastic farm animals in anxious anticipation of the next chemical wash of euphoria. The opportunity to bathe my insides with enough of anything that would soothe the bobos in my brain. The ones you couldn't piece back together with a pink and purple zebra band-aid. Effective and efficient, they may be. So I drank to fasten myself back together. To offset the stress of motherhood, marriage, work, friends, and family. I also drank to celebrate the joys of motherhood, work, friends, and family. I took pills so I could combat the hardships of motherhood, marriage, work, friends, and family. I took pills so that I could sink, grit rather, my teeth into the joys of motherhood, marriage, school, success, friends, and family. Do you see a pattern here? Now, I did not hit society's definition of rock bottom. I did not end up in a jail cell or crash my car driving to Lake Street Liquor or go streaking through the McNeese Quad. I did not need a drink when I woke up every morning. And I did not acquire a bleeding septum from partaking in excessive quantities of the devil's dandruff. So perhaps I am one of the lucky ones, or perhaps not. That all depends how you see it. Whether your perception of sobriety is one of shame, pity, failure, disappointment, or whether it is one of second chances, transformation, turning one's greatest obstacles into one's greatest achievements. Today, I choose to see it as the latter.